And first, a quick word from our podcast sponsor. FactSet delivers superior data, analytics, and flexible technology to help more than 170,000 users see and seize opportunities sooner. For over 40 years, we have given investment professionals the edge to outperform with informed insights, workflow solutions across the portfolio lifecycle, and industry-leading support from dedicated specialists. Through market changes and technological progress, we're proud to have been recognized with multiple awards for our analytical and data-driven solutions, while staying connected to our clients and each other. Learn more at www.factset.com. Hello, everyone. I'm Justina Kameling, Head of Regulatory Outreach at CFA Institute and a co-host of this great Sustainability Story podcast, which is a global podcast on sustainability and, and themes that you know worry us and interest us across the globe. In this episode, I'm chatting to Patrick Carlson, uh, who is a Senior Policy Officer at the European Securities and Markets Authority, ESMA. And the EU has, of course, been in the news the last years with the avalanche, I would say, of sustainability regulation, whether financial, non-financial, whether it's on disclosures, whether it's on building a taxonomy for companies. It's been a very ambitious laying out of regulation, which started, I would say, almost as a sort of small eye of the storm that was going to be sustainability with one phrase in a Capital Markets Union action plan back in 2015. Roll forward eight years and we we find ourselves in the EU with some of the most ambitious planning on building trust with retail and institutional investors, being more transparent, building the right sort of information that companies need to provide. Uh, And this really has been a challenge for policymakers and, of course, Patrick, um, you're one. But just to to go a little bit, you've been working at ESMA in the investment management team and you joined in April 2019. But you have had a, a, a great career in asset management and policymaking before. So you've been um, working also at the International Capital Market Association, ICMA, Prudential, PSC and the British Banker Association, um, working on EU government affairs. So you have a very global, broad view of really what what's happening let's say, in the financial markets with a specific focus on the EU. And of course, you're known a little bit as Mr. SFDR at ESMA. So in that context, I I will be challenging your thoughts a little bit on what are some of the issues. Now, for those of us uh, within, within the globe who haven't yet heard SFDR, let me tell you, SFDR is the acronym for the Sustainable Finance Disclosure Regulation implemented in the EU and being supervised and as to the rolling out by ESMA, which is the Securities Market Authority. It it imposes mandatory ESG disclosure for asset managers and and other financial market participants. It became effective in March 2021. Its aim really was to take what, what companies needed to show to investors in the taxonomy and provide an obligation on transparency in terms of products and at the entity level for asset managers and financial markets participants. It's it's a challenge because there has to be a match between SFDR and the taxonomy, so the obligations of the company to what the asset manager needs to show in information. And that challenges, of course, some of the things we'll be talking about today. 
at CFE Institute, some of the things we already picked up as SFDR is rolling out is that there is a little bit of a, a lack of clarity in some of the requirements provided under the SFDR. And of course, there's a little bit of a mismatch between the definitions under SFDR and the EU taxonomy and also in some of the areas being covered. So probably these are growing pains, and I'm sure this is going to be ironed out, and I look a little bit to Patrick to give us some, some hints on that. Um, SFDR, of course, also captures social and employee respect for human rights, anti-corruption, anti-bribery, as well as climate and environment, whereas the taxonomy only really looks at environmentally sustainable activities. But that is, of course, within the plan of the EU to change that and to develop that. Um, so greenwashing has been an issue for SFDR as it, as it was rolling out. And of course, I will look to uh, Patrick to tell us something about that. And that, I think, will be my first uh, question to him. What has been the role of ESMA and the in, in general of the ESAs, the European Supervisory Authorities, in the application of SFDR and prevention of greenwashing? All right, Yusufina. Well, thank you very much for inviting me to the podcast. Uh, glad to be here. Happy to share uh, what little uh, wisdom I have. Not very much, obviously. One nugget for for the nerds out there, though, is that originally everyone called it the DR, the Disclosure Regulation. And uh, <laughs> it was actually Esma and a colleague of mine, I can't take credit, obviously, who, who insisted, no, we should call it the SFDR because we want to identify the fact that it's the finance sector who has to give the disclosure. It's not uh, incumbent on any other entities as such. There's a definition of financial market participant, and it's them who have to provide these disclosures. And it's all about sustainability as well. So we we invented this SFDR and and, and struggled with the commission. They didn't like it, but uh, I think they, they in the end accepted that most people were calling it SFDR after we had done a lot of PR for the SFDR. And, and the acronym stuck. But yeah, so in, in uh, response to your question, yeah, the, the kind of, we are coming to the end of one cycle of the policy making phase where we first try to understand the, the level one framework, the overall framework regulation and what it provided and, and required. And then the, the the detailed technical standards that we, the ESAs, developed as part of our policymaking support role in the EU. And uh, I, I played a small part in that only. That phase is coming to an end, but we are still working on it. I'll, I'll get to this in a, in a second, but we are actually at, at this very moment under consultation on some, some, some changes to the level two detailed rules. But as you said, the, the application date was the 10th of March, 2021 for the regulation. However, the application date for the detailed rules that we first developed in level two started on the 1st of January of this year. So this, this was a delay in the application. And now we are indeed in 2023 and we are focusing much more on supervisory convergence and application of the rules. Now, we often, the ESAs are guilty of using the supervisory convergence and expect everyone to just understand what we mean. Or of course, it's not that straightforward. Essentially, and especially true for SFDR, where the ESAs are not the supervisors of either the entities or the financial products, 
we have to ensure that the actual supervisors who are the national competent authorities supervise and enforce the rules in the same way. You say that you want to come in on that. I I want to come in on that, and that is a really important point you highlight, because for our audience, you know, it's often very complex to see how the EU is rolling out legislation, and who is responsible? Is it the EU, and, you know, you as a supervisory authority body, um, uh, or or is it the national member state? And to your point, you know, this has been, of course, the complexity for sustainability is that it's it, it, it is much more anchored in the member states, but you have this supervisory convergence. And of course, you know, I think two two of the EU um, regulatory authorities and um, national me- regulatory authorities who have been very actively looking at uh, SFDR and greenwashing were the French and the Dutch, two very different authorities in the way they look at, at markets, but interesting, quite active in, in trying to come to terms with how it's applying nationally. So... Um, I, I know that I, I interrupted you and I apologize, but it was an important point for, for our audience. You were so right to raise it. So how are you dealing with some of these underlying, um, sometimes conflicting views and sometimes aligning views? And how is that national application building also at the at the EU level? And, and uh, maybe for our audience, you could explain a little bit about, you know, how level two and level three, which is, this process we have at the EU where the level one is the decision at the highest authority, the parliament and the council of the legislation, and then it moves downwards. So maybe you could spend a little bit of time on that. Sure, sure. Indeed, the the, the so-called levels are an absolutely essential part of the financial services rulemaking process and application in the EU. Indeed, at level one, we have the framework law which is decided by the the Council and Parliament uh, as the co-legislators on a proposal made by the European Commission. Level two is where we, the ESIS, the European Supervisory Authorities, provide regulatory and implementing technical standards uh, to complement the framework laws. And these are typically very detailed rules with specific criteria and especially when it comes to disclosures, you know, templates for how information is meant to be disclosed, that is indeed one of the most important parts of the level two framework are these templates for financial products and for the principal adverse impact disclosures. And then at level three, we provide guidance uh, and Q&As. And that is a very important part of this process because SFDR being a new law and a new disclosure framework and a new obligation, it doesn't have a long history of of existing uh, precedents and so on, a lot of terms have had to be explained. A lot of concepts have had to be provided guidance for by us. And importantly, interpretation questions have come up. So we have asked the European Commission to provide interpretative guidance also through Q&As. We have issued a very large body of Q&A so far. The Commission has responded to questions on interpretation three times now in July 2021. May 2022, and latest in April of this year, in April 2023. The ESAs, us, we have also provided Q&As in November 2022. We provided almost 60 Q&As at that point. A number of questions had basically been sitting on our shelf and we were ready to respond to them, but we gathered as many as we could at one time and then we responded to them. That is for sure to grow. There are going to be more questions, more Q&As, and, and we will be providing that. So that's an important role. And then as part of level three, you basically also have supervisory convergence, 
which is this extremely important part of this whole process. Now, SFDR doesn't only cover the asset management sector. Uh, the financial market participant is a key definition of SFDR, and, and this is the first time it, it was used. And that covers the asset management sector. It covers insurance and pensions and banks and uh, investment firms where they provide portfolio management. So there's this kind of body of, of financial actors that are affected by these rules. And these are all supervised by national competent authorities, as you said, Yosina. So for example, asset managers in France are, are uh, regulated, supervised by the AMF, uh, and likewise the AFM in the Netherlands. We have a very active role as the ESAs in ensuring convergence in how that supervision and enforcement happens. So we have a number of different bodies where we discuss cases, for example, and try to uh, exchange best practice and understanding of how different authorities deal with different actors. But fundamentally, uh, the responsibility is with the national competent authorities in these sectors. There are, as you know, you've seen some other uh, marginal sectors where, for example, ESMA have direct supervisory capacity, for example, credit rating agencies, but that is not relevant for SFDR purposes. These are all entities and products that are supervised and enforced at the national level. So that's essentially what we're doing now. We're trying to, uh, I'll let you in a second, sorry. Well, we, are, we are trying to get the kind of Q&A body together and provide a more coherent set of guidance through the Q&As. And we're trying to ensure that the rules are enforced in the same way across the, the 27 member states in the four sectors that I that I just listed to you. And I think that is a very on, on important ongoing piece of work that is going to last many years. But meanwhile, we are also tweaking the level two rules, which I'm happy to explain to you about. But I know they say you have a question, Yoshida. So why don't we start with that and then go back to the consultation? I do. And thank you, Patrick, for, for letting me, me come in here. I noted in our, some of our, our own CFA Institute discussions with ESMA that you're very keen to get case studies because these help you apply and also work out more Q&A uh, because Q&A doesn't catch everything. And it, it, it is quite useful to you. So I'm actually, you know, going to our audience. If you are in the EU and you're looking at SFDR in your firm, well, if you have a case study, maybe go to Patrick and, and highlight some of your own particular case studies. Because I think it's, it is important for you to see the diversity as its national authorities applying it. There are bound to be differences. So, but over to you, back, back, uh, back on, on, on some of the issues that you mentioned. Yeah, no, just uh, a little vignette on the case studies. That's an absolutely correct state of affairs. We we very much uh, use case studies as a practical way to illustrate to each other among the national competent authorities about how different cases are approached, where there are problems, how they are addressed, etc. I think this is uh, quite important and it's a, a, a very typical tool of ours. And so indeed, I'm extremely interested and as our colleagues in the East, is extremely interested in hearing about practical cases of either you know queries, uh, uncertainties with regard to how the rules are meant to be applied. We ha I have had a number of questions about what our intention was with particular disclosures, and of course, I'm very happy to explain that. So, now going to the tweaks that we are doing, we have issued a consultation paper on the 12th of April. Uh, this was, uh, so when I say we, I mean, again, the ESAs, to ground everyone back to what we're talking about, the supervisory authorities in the EU. We launched a consultation paper in our joint committee 
we are reviewing a number of, of elements of the level two framework. This was in response to a mandate by the commission. Uh, I think there were a number of areas that we, we were pretty sure we would have to review in any case. So this was the opportunity to do that. There are two important deliverables of this consultation paper, and that is uh, a few more indicators for principal adverse impact disclosures. Now, the principal adverse impact disclosures are a pretty groundbreaking SFDR disclosure about the negative consequences of investment decisions. Uh, and that is being complemented through the indicators for both environmental or social impact. And we were asked to provide more social impact indicators where the previous work had not been as comprehensive as on the environmental side. That's one important area. The other big deliverable of this consultation paper is brand new disclosures for carbon emission reduction targets. So where financial products that are being sold to investors as having a target for carbon emission reduction, that should be disclosed in a particular way, which we have proposed for consultation now. That's the second big deliverable. We're also tweaking a few of the old rules. We noticed that, for example, we could provide more formulae for the PAI indicators. Uh, that was considered to be helpful. So for, we provided them for some in the first draft. We are now suggesting a few more. That hopefully is helpful for those who are preparing the disclosures. We're preparing also to simplify some of the templates that are meant for retail investors to understand. We're proposing a dashboard at the beginning, which is a kind of summary of the template hopefully to make them easier to understand. And then we have a few technical revisions as well. So for those who are interested in more detailed technical rules, for example, on derivatives or value chains or other parts of the reporting and disclosures, then obviously, please, uh, please uh, respond to our consultation paper. I have had a number of questions about, well, hang on a minute, we're only just starting to apply the rules. Why are you changing them? Well, uh, the timing, I admit, is, isn't helpful. We could have perhaps waited a little bit longer, but of course, we have to respond to the mandate given to us by the Commission. At the same time, I wouldn't expect the changed rules that would result from this consultation process in the final report that we will deliver by October this year to be applicable immediately, at least. So we certainly are focusing right now on the rules currently applicable and indeed generating Q&As and guidance at level three and actively discussing cases with our members uh, about uh, the, the the enforcement in the national jurisdiction. And I must also give a shout out to those NCAs, not just the AMF and AFM that you mentioned in France and the Netherlands, but also in Denmark, the Danish FSA have done some interesting thematic reviews and they provide uh, English language summaries and press releases about those if anyone's interested. The latest one was on the Article 9, which is the more ambitious of the two disclosure types in SFDR. It was a very interesting thematic review indeed with some interesting conclusions, and I thoroughly recommend that to everyone. Thank you. Thank you for, for pointing out on Denmark. I haven't seen it, so I will indeed look at it. And I think it's, it's, it's as you were speaking about, you know, the sort of tweaking that you're doing much earlier in the process than maybe for some of the other regulations we've been seeing through the years, this kind of dynamic attitude to regulation making is something that our CFA global membership has been picking up on during a, a recent COVID survey we held where our members thought it was really actually very crucial for financial market participants to work very closely with regulators and policymakers and supervisors so that the process becomes more dynamic. 
And I think this is what's happening in sustainability in the EU, at least. And I think it's it's a very important step forward because, you know, as we've seen in MIFID, it, the whole process took over seven years. Uh, it was stop and start and, and many other things. And I think we're achieving a kind of much more mobile running along kind of laying out of regulation, which I think is going to be the And to that point, this this sort of being more on the ball and quicker in reaction. Of course, Britain exited in Brexit, the EU. Britain and the City of London, of course, is a very important financial market. They are across the pond observing what's been happening in the EU. And of course, they left before the sustainability legislation rolled out. Um, they're proposing measures also to address greenwashing. The FCA has proposed some recent measures. But also, um, they're looking at a labeling regime to help consumers. Now, you mentioned the dashboard, and I think this is an interesting uh, piece of uh, information for retail investors, because the complexity of sustainability and understanding the disclosures for retail investors is a real challenge. You did also, I think, some a call for evidence or a consultation recently about the name, you know, what is, you know, in the, when you market a fund and the name, uh, how that can also lead to greenwashing, willing or not. Um, but I think you're doing a lot on this. But what what are you, what is your observance on what the FCA is looking at with labeling, for example? Yeah, no, I've obviously we keep a close eye on 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 uh, what our our brothers and sisters are doing in in the FCA, and we're I think uh, very supportive, uh, interested in their work on on uh, disclosures and labeling. I think that labeling is a good idea. Uh, I think that indeed uh, complexity is a challenge for retail investors and a label which can be uh, easily understood and trusted is very important uh, because that then allows retail investors to rely on that label to be sure that they are actually investing in a sustainable financial product. Uh, I've been relatively open, and, and we have in the East has also been relatively open about our disappointment that the SFDR disclosures are being used as labels when they were not designed to do that. Uh, uh, now, it's not as easy as that, obviously, because in the absence of EU-wide labels, and there was no agreement on an eco-label for financial products, in the absence of that label at the EU level, it is perhaps natural that a disclosure that divides financial products into two categories, one more ambitious than the other, would be used as a signal about the sustainability of the product and therefore would almost by default become labels. Now, the FCA has clearly seen that the danger of a disclosure-only framework is indeed that, that disclosures which don't have criteria, which are only about transparency, are used as labels and therefore they have proposed a labeling solution indeed. I think it's a good solution. I think that one of the key challenges, however, is providing sufficiently detailed criteria uh, for the labels to work and for the financial product providers to be able to provide sufficiently innovative solutions under each of the labels. As is relatively obvious, uh, there's a lot of competitive pressure to be in the most ambitious part of any label because you want and you can understand the desire for investors for uh, the most ambitious sustainability label, as that is if they are prioritizing sustainability where they want their money to go. And that's why care has to be taken with labels to ensure that if there is a kind of more ambitious label compared to a less ambitious label, that those criteria are sufficiently clear and detailed to allow 
product providers to be safe in the knowledge that there is no circumvention or greenwashing here where less ambitious products are are somehow able to use the higher higher quality label. So that's uh, extremely important uh, in, in the labeling context. Now, you mentioned the fund naming. I think that's important to clarify here that we're absolutely not consulting on labels there. And I know you did mean that, of course, but uh, for me, it's very important to stress that this is a, an investor protection measure precisely because, in particular, the Article 8, the so-called less ambitious uh, of the two types of disclosures under SFDR are be, is being used to signal sustainability. I think that is obviously a yeah. concern from us from an investor protection uh, perspective as investors are being told that something is sustainable, which may not necessarily be uh, sustainable. Article 8 uh, was designed by the co-legislators in SFDR as a relatively catch-all uh, disclosure regime to allow different types of sustainability ambitions to be shown to investors in a relatively uniform way so that the investor can compare products next to each other and make informed decision based on their sustainability ambition. Now, in and of itself, Article 8 therefore doesn't have criteria for sustainability except for one, and that's that investing companies have to follow good governance. That is that is non-negotiable. That is part of that is the only criteria really for Article 8. Other than that, they can do pretty much what they want within environmental or social characteristics and have to be transparent about it. And that discretion made us worried uh, as ESMA, and we consulted last November on uh, some criteria for terms used in the name so that the most immediate tool by which uh, investors identify financial products, the name, uh, don't contain terms where the underlying product don't actually do what it's supposed to do. So that's what we consulted on. We we consulted on certain criteria for ESG general terms and some criteria for sustainability specific terms because sustainable has this concept of sustainable investments in SFDR, which we consulted on. And we are currently digesting the feedback from that and considering the next steps. But again, these are not labels. That's something completely different where you create a detailed criteria for what what uh, is a particular type of product. These are just a kind of minimum safeguard to ensure that where terms are used in the name don't lead investors to products that don't actually match those terms. Right. So you should. I think I think you've been incredibly clear and open with this audience on some of the challenges you're facing at the EU level, and also in sort of whether it's on the supervisory convergence, whether it's on um, avoiding some of the more obvious greenwashing practices. Uh, but also contributing to a more dynamic understanding and, and building the credibility of, of the framework. Patrick, I see that our time is up. I would love to ask you many more questions, and I'm sure we'll keep that for another podcast. It's been a real pleasure to host you and, and, and have some of the, you know, some of the clouds that always uh, are around new legislation being blown away by, by your very open and very clear comments on, on what is happening. I thank my audience for listening. Look out to the next podcast with my co-host Andres Vinelli and Deborah Kidden. It will be a pleasure to come back to you with other topics in this podcast. And Patrick, thanks again. It was great to have you. Thank you for having me.